Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Hebrews chapter number five, and uh, we are continuing, of course, our Wednesday night Bible study. We're doing a verse by verse study through the book of Hebrews, and tonight we start a new chapter, Hebrews chapter number five. And uh, though it is a new chapter, it is a continuing theme because the theme continues in chapter five that got started in uh, chapter number four. In fact, if you would just real quickly go back to verse number 14 of chapter four, if you remember, it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And of course, we dealt with that portion of scripture last Wednesday night, but that is the context in which we enter into chapter five. And of course, uh, you might remember that the chapter divisions and the verse divisions, uh, though they are extremely helpful and we're glad to have them, um, were not originally in the writing uh, when the Apostle Paul, I believe Paul, wrote the book of Hebrews or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not like they divided this letter into chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. That was added later for our benefit. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, we're continuing this idea uh, from chapter number 4. And of course, we've been talking, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, we've been talking about the theme of the book of Hebrews. And there's lots of things that are taught in Hebrews, lots of different themes. But I would say the major theme that we find through the book of Hebrews is this, that Jesus is better. And we've been talking about that. Uh, we learned that Jesus is better than the prophets. We've learned that Jesus is better than the angels. We saw that Jesus is better than Moses. We saw that Jesus is better than the Sabbath. And last week, we saw that Jesus is better than the high priest, or that Jesus is a better high priest. And that's what we saw there in verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest. What we find in chapter number 5 is the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to begin to talk about just the high priest in general. And we're going to look at how those correlate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes some specific applications to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as a high priest. So if you're taking notes tonight, and I always encourage you to take notes, uh, I'd like to give you six different thoughts regarding our high priest, Jesus, our high priest, from this passage of Scripture, and uh, six different thoughts that are outlined here for you, or that I will outline for you from the passage, and maybe you can jot these down. The first is found there in verse number one, and it says this, for every high priest, now remember, we, we just got done talking in chapter, in, in, in chapter four, about Jesus, our great high priest. And we're going to come back to the subject of Jesus uh, later on, even in the same passage. But in verse 1, he's not necessarily just talking about Jesus as the high priest, although that's definitely the context. He's just talking about high priests in general. He says, for every high priest, every high priest, meaning not just Jesus, but all of the high priests that were since Aaron. And we know that Aaron, we've been studying in the book of Numbers, that Aaron was the first high priest. His uh, son Eliezer was the second high priest, and so on. And we find the high priests in the New Testament as well. Unfortunately, by the time we get to the New Testament, the high priests are no longer the heroes of the story. They are the villains in the story. They're the ones that are putting uh, Jesus to death. But here in verse 1, we read, For every high priest, uh, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men. I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews is telling us, look, every high priest is taken from among men. And again, we're talking about just the normal high priest 
that, that the nation of Israel had. Because again, if you remember, the book of Hebrews is written. It's written to all of us for our admonition. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable. But the primary applications we find in Hebrew is that we're learning how to transition out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And it's written to first century Jewish believers who have to kind of figure this thing out. How do we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? And here the writer says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men. The idea is this, that a high priest is chosen from among men. And think about what we've been learning in the book of Numbers with Aaron. Aaron was an individual who was part of a family who was part of a tribe of Levi. He was just a man. He was taken from among men, and he was ordained to do a ministry for men. It says they're taken from among men, is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, why is this point being made, and why is this important? The reason that it's being made, we find in verse 2, who can have compassion on the ignorant? Remember, the high priest was the uh, leader or the head of the priesthood, of the Levitical priesthood for the nation of Israel. All the other priests were under the leadership of the high priest. So the high priest kind of forms this, uh, this idea that he represents all of the priests. And the idea is this, that a high priest, or really any priest, but here we're talking about a high priest, was taken from among men and was ordained for men, because what is it that high priests did? They would often help and lead in the sacrifices. I mean, we saw it there at the last part of verse 1, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So sometimes they would bring sacrifices for sin that the high priest would then conduct that have to be done because of the people's sin. Sometimes they would bring gifts, or what we would call offerings, free will offerings, where there wasn't a sin that was involved, it was just them tithing or them wanting to give a gift above their tithe. But the Bible tells us in verse 2 that the reason why it was important that the high priest would be taken from among men and ordained to men is that they could have compassion on the ignorant. Now, why does it say that? Because remember, oftentimes they would bring a sin of ignorance. They would bring a sacrifice for the sin of ignorance, and it would be this idea where someone would come and say, I have sinned, I did wrong, I didn't do it on purpose, I didn't set out to do it, or I didn't even know that it was a sin, but now I realize it is a sin, and they're bringing the sin. And the high priest was to help them, was to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. So not only just the ignorant, those who sinned by ignorance, and if you remember, we learned about that in the book of Numbers, it means that they did it without knowing it was a sin, but it also means that they did it without intending to. They didn't set out to do it. It was not preconceived. It was just uh, in the heat of the moment, they said something they shouldn't have said or did something they shouldn't have done. Here, the Bible says that the high priest, because the high priest himself is a man like they are, is one of their brethren, he could have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Because of the fact that the high priest himself has sinned, the high priest himself at times had to bring uh, sacrifices for uh, the sins of his own ignorance, or at times he was out of the way, he was transgressing, he was doing wrong. The high priest could have compassion. So I want you to notice, and if you're taking notes, here's point number one. We see the sympathy 
of our high priest. Now here we're not talking about our high priest. We're going to talk about our high priest here in a moment. But here we just see high priests in general. The earthly high priest was taken from among men so that he could relate to men and have compassion on men. And what we see here is really an attribute of leadership. And the attribute of leadership is this, that those who are called by God to lead have to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. Now that would seem like it would just make like, isn't that kind of a duh statement? And you would think, yeah, the whole point of a high priest, the whole point of a priest, the whole point of a pastor would be to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. But you know, the longer I pastor, the longer I realize it. And I really just honestly had kind of an epiphany about this just recently. When I say recently, I mean in the last couple of days. I, I often, as a pastor, you know, and our church isn't huge. It's not some mega church, but it's not little either. It's not like we have 20 people here. I mean, we've got uh, close 190 or close to 100 people here tonight, 250 people on Sunday mornings. And one thing I've, I've kind of learned, and, and, and I've always known this, you know, you, sometimes you, you feel something, you know what you feel, but my job as a preacher is to kind of put that in, put language around it and help people understand it. I was talking to my wife about this just, just yesterday. I often feel this pressure from people of how it is that they expect me to treat all of you, all of the church people. And, you know, the expectations that I should lay on you and what I should expect from you as part of the safety team or as ushers or as volunteers on a workday or whatever. But one thing that I've realized is everyone who's constantly wanting me to come down hard on or tell them, what I've realized is none of those people have 250 people following them. None of those people have 16 ushers that they're in charge of. None of them have five or six safety team members. None of them have 100 soul winners that show up. And what I'm learning is this. Oftentimes, the leader has more compassion for the flock than the rest of the flock does. Because if I led the way some of you wish I'd lead, we'd have no ushers. We'd have no soul winners. We'd have no flock. There'd be no volunteers. There wouldn't even be a building. And here what we see is that the reason God, God, it was very important for God that the leader would have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. On the ones that are not doing what they should be doing and on the ones that do know what they should be doing and just aren't doing it. Right? You know you're not supposed to be on your phone watching the game while you're an usher. But you do it. Or safety team or whatever. Pianists, I don't know if the pianists do that. <laughs> and, and, and the leader is to have compassion. Here the Bible says that he was taken from among men and is ordained for men to have compassion on the ignorant. Now when we think about that in the role of human leadership, doesn't that make sense? It makes sense that we are to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities. We see that the earthly high priest was taken from among men so that he could relate to men and have compassion on men. And what the point that's being made that this is for the earthly high priest, but the reason that he's saying this, the writer of Hebrews is saying this, because this is true of our heavenly high priest. 
See, the earthly high priest was taken from among men so that he could relate to men and have compassion on men. But the heavenly high priest became a man. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. He wasn't taken from among men. He became men. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And this is talking about Jesus, of course. That the children were partakers of flesh and blood. They were human beings. So he also himself likewise took part of the same. What are we talking about? The humanity of Christ. What are we talking about? The, the, the fact that the word was made flesh. That's what we're going to celebrate here in a couple of weeks on Christmas Day. What's Christmas about? The fact that he also himself looked, uh, 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 took part of Flesh and blood. He took part of the same. Because we were partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't take on the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. The descendancy, the he inserted himself into the lineage of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? Why did we need a high priest? Why couldn't Jesus just come down? Why even have Christmas? Why didn't he just come down, get beamed down from heaven? He got beamed up to heaven. Why didn't he just come down in his glorified body, Forget Christmas, forget the shepherds, forget the wise men, and just come down. Well, and there, there's multiple reasons, there's multiple answers to that question. But one of the answers to that question is this, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for sins of the people, for that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. See, the heavenly high priest, the earthly high priest had to be taken from among men so that he could relate to men, so that he could have compassion on men, so that he could have compassion on the ignorant, he could have compassion on them that are out of the way. And I would just say for us that are humans, that is a leadership lesson. You truly are the leader when you actually care about people. You realize that they're going to fail you. You realize that they're going to uh, come short. You realize that they're not going to do the things they're supposed to do. But you care about them anyway. But the heavenly high priest was not taken from among men. He became man. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. For that in he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor. The word succor means to aid, to support them that are Tempted. Go back to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 3. You're there in Hebrews 2. Just go back to chapter 5 if you would. So we saw, number one, the sympathy of our, high, of, of our high priest. He became man so he could sympathize with us, so he could empathize with us, so that he can relate to us, so that he can know. Look, Jesus knows, and we talked about it last week, but Jesus knows what you're going through. 
Whatever you, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Anything you've gone through, he's gone through it. Anything that, that, that you have felt and hurt, he's felt that hurt. And he became a man so that he could relate to men and have compassion on men. And we see the sympathy of our high priest. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, not only do we see the sympathy of our high priest, but we also see the sinlessness of our high priest. Notice verse 3. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 3, and by reason hereof he ought. Now, I want, I want to go back just a couple of verses just to get the context because there's a couple of things he's saying here. Look at verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So he's telling us this is a good thing about the high priest, the earthly high priest, that because he himself is compassed with infirmity, because he himself has sin and has sickness and has weakness in his life, he can have compassion on those who come to him to try to make reconciliation with God when they have failed, when they are weak, when they have not accomplished what they should do. That's a positive thing. But then in verse 3, he says, here's the negative part about our high priest being taken from men. The fact that he's taken from men is good because he can relate to us. But the negative thing about the fact that he was taken from men is this, and by reason hereof, what reason hereof are we talking about? The reason hereof is that he was taken from men, that he is compassed with infirmity. By that reason, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. So the earthly high priest, because he was taken from among men, he also had to offer sin, not only for the people, but also for himself. And we talked about it last week. I won't take the time to go into detail. But the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go into the Holy of Holies, would go into the most holy place, and he would give an atonement or a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. But before he could give an atonement for the sins of the people, he had to give an atonement for his own sins because he himself was a sinner. So as for the people, uh, so also for himself, he had to offer for sins. That's the earthly high priest. The heavenly high priest, on the other hand, go back to Hebrews 4, look at verse 15. We saw this last week, but let's just look at it. There are verses worthy of looking at multiple times. The earthly high priest was a sinner. The heavenly high priest was sinless. The reason that Jesus was a better high priest is because though he had the same benefit as Aaron and Eleazar and every other high priest, he was taken from among men so he could relate to men. Jesus became a man. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He, he became a man so he could have the same benefit as a leader. He could relate. He could be touched by the feelings of their infirmities and, 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 and he could succor them and he could empathize with them. He could sympathize with them and he could have compassion on them. But though the earthly high priest had a negative, which was that that made him a sinner, which means he had to offer a sacrifice for his sins, Jesus is a better high priest because he had the same benefit of humanity minus sin. He was sinless. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because he became man. 
Because the mystery of godliness is that God was manifest in the flesh. But was in all points tempted like as we are. Here's the only difference, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see the sinlessness of our high priest. And that's really what makes him a better high priest. What makes him a better high priest was that he still had the benefit of humanity and compassion of human beings without sin. I'd like you to keep your place there in Hebrews. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go through to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely to follow the book of Psalms. If you go from Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Now, if you find Psalms, I'd like you to just stick your finger there in Psalms or a ribbon or something, because we're actually going to go back to Psalms later on. But I'd like you to find Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's one of these uh, messianic uh, passages, or prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is an Old Testament prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing chapter. We could study the whole chapter, and that would be a great study. We've done that in the past. I'm not going to do that now. I do want to just show you some things. If we ask the question, why? And it's a good time of year. I mean, we're in Hebrews. Hebrews isn't really your common Christmas sermon, but it's a good time of year to ask the question, why Christmas? Why become a human? Why become a man? Well, part of it is because of the fact that the high priest had to be able to identify with the people that he was sacrificing for. But then we ask the question, why did God become man? Well, we've seen the answer already because we already had high priests that were taken from among men. And the problem with the high priests that are taken from among men is that they themselves were sinners. So they could not be the salvation or the savior of our sin. And just on a very practical level, well, let's look at the passage. Isaiah 53, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says is about Jesus. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we did as it were, we hid, excuse me, as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Notice these words. I want you to notice this. These are some of the most famous passages in Scripture, and we often look at this as very lovely, poetic passages, and they are lovely, and they are poetic, and they are amazing, but there's a reason why we're being told. Notice what it says. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That, that is not th this, this poetic verbiage that is saying, well, he was a human, so in the same way that we've carried griefs, he carried griefs, and in the same way that we carried sorrows, he carried sorrows. Now, that's true, but that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is not saying that because he was a human, the same way you and I carried griefs, he carried griefs, and the same way you and I carried sorrows, he carried sorrows. No, what this passage says, surely he hath borne our griefs. The griefs that I've carried and the griefs that you've carried were carried by the Lord Jesus Christ and He carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but He was wounded for our transgressions. Do you see why I say to you? It's not that it's saying He had grief like we had griefs. He had sorrows like we had sorrows. No, no, no. He didn't have, it's not that He had transgressions like we have transgressions. No, He had no transgressions, but He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's beautiful language. It is beautiful language. But don't miss the practical application here. I often outsult when you explain this to people, and I think it's good for us to just be reminded. It is beautiful language. It does make for a beautiful story. It does make for nice uh, uh, sermons, and I understand that and praise God for it. But on a very practical, theological, doctrinal level, God had to become flesh because the one who took our sin had to be sinless. If I went to God and I said, God, I love my wife. I love my children so much. I don't want them to die and go to hell. I would like to die and go to hell in their place. Even if I was genuine and even if I authentically, that's what I want to do. I want, obviously, I want to just get them saved and we can all go to heaven together. And they are saved and praise God for that. But like Paul, where he had his kinsmen in the flesh who rejected Christ, and he said that he wanted to, if he, he said if he could, that he would be a curse, that they might be saved. But God wouldn't allow that. You say, why? Well, God would not allow me to take the place of my wife or my children and to pay for their sins to go to hell, because the problem is that I have my own sins to pay for. You say, well, I, I want to pay for the sins of my, my spouse or my children, but you have your own sins to pay for. The reason that the high priests that were taken from among men could never pay for the sins of men is because they had their own sins to pay for. The high priest that paid for our sins, that carried our griefs, that carried our sorrows, that was wounded for our transgression, that was bruised for our iniquity, that high priest had to be sinless because in order to take our sins... He had to be without sin. And that's why Jesus came. That's why God became flesh, because no one else could do it. Because since Adam, there's never been, there's never been a man without sin, except one, Jesus. So we see the sympathy of our high priest, and we see the sinlessness of our high priest. Keep your place there in, 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 in Psalms, if you would. Go, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you kept your place in Hebrews, from Hebrews you have James, and then 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. 1 Peter, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow uh, that you should follow his steps, verse 22. Notice these words, who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, verse 24, who his own self, this is from Isaiah 53, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. The only way that our sins could be put on Jesus is if he was sinless. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And look, I understand that this is basic theology. But it must not be that basic since there's so many people out there who don't understand salvation. 
Because if you simply understood that salvation was this, Jesus, who was sinless, became man and came to this earth, and salvation is that my sins were taken from me and put on him, and he paid for my sins, and his righteousness was taken from him and put on me. That's what salvation is. If you understood that, you wouldn't be mixed up with, what well, do I need to repent of my sins in order to go to heaven? What does that have to do with anything? Why would I need to repent of my sins if my sins have been removed from me? Well, do you have to keep, you know, what if you stop going to church? That just tells me you don't understand what salvation is. If my sins have been taken from me and put on Jesus, what does me going to church, me praying, me reading the Bible, me getting baptized, or any of that have to do with anything? It doesn't. Obviously, once you're saved, God wants to have a relationship with you and you need to grow in grace. We understand all that. All those things are important. But when we just have this basic understanding that salvation is this, Jesus was a man like us, which made him eligible to die for us. But the difference was that he had no sin. So he could take our sin. That is atonement. That is salvation. So we see the sympathy of our high priest. We see the sinlessness of our high priest. And I'd like you to notice, thirdly, go back to Hebrews 5. Keep your place there in, 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 in Psalms. Keep your place in Psalms. Go, go back to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4. I'd like you to notice, thirdly, the selection of our high priest. The selection of our high priest, Hebrews 5, 4, and no man taketh this honor unto himself. We're still talking about the earthly high priest. Now, this should make sense to you because we've been studying it in Numbers. No man, right? Like Korah. No man like Dathan and Abiram. No man taketh this honor unto himself. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? Nobody decides to make themselves a high priest. If you're a high priest, you're chosen by God. God cho- We've been studying this in numbers, so this should click with you. Somebody decides to make themselves a high priest, God's going to open up the earth and swallow them into the pit alive. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God was Aaron, right? We, we talked about that. That's why the red heifer is not needed, blah, blah, blah. Verse 5. The earthly high priest did not choose himself. That's what we saw in verse 4. In the same way, the heavenly high priest did not choose himself. Verse 4, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Verse 5, so also. Here's the application. In the same way, Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now, the, 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 the way that the structure of the sentence is worded is maybe a little different than the way that we would say it in our modern vernacular, so I just want to make sure you understand it. He says in verse 4, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but that he is called of God. Nobody makes himself a high priest. The high priest had to be called of God. Verse 5, so also, or in the same way, that Aaron and Eleazar and all these other guys did not call themselves into the high priest position. They were called of God, like Korah, Dathan, or Byram. They could not do that. He says, in the same way, Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. Then when it says, but, that, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, The idea that he's putting forth is this. Christ did not call himself to be a high priest, but here is who did call him to be a high priest. Who called him to be a high priest? He that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now who said that? 
Well, that's a quote from Psalm 2. So let's look at it real quickly. If you kept your place in Psalm, go to Psalm 2. Look at verse 7. Psalm 2 and verse 7. I will declare the decree. Notice these words. The Lord has said. Who said? The Lord said. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Psalm 2, keep your place, stay right there in Psalm. Psalm 2 says, The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And then the writer of Hebrews says in verse Hebrews 5, 5, So also Christ glorified not himself, but uh, to be made an high priest. But he that said, this is the guy that did glorify him to be a high priest. The guy that said, the person that said, the, the source of this quote, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And then in Psalm 2 and verse 7, it's clear that the Bible says that the Lord said that. So who made Jesus a high priest? The Lord. Now keep your finger right there in Psalm. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Hebrews 5, look at verse 6. Here's another quote. As he saith also. He says, he says, the same person that said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's the person that chose Jesus as a high priest. And then he says, and here's what he also said, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Go to Psalm 110. Let's look at that quote. Psalm 110 and verse 4. Who's saying these things? Well, Psalm 2, 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee? The Lord hath said. Psalm 110 and verse 4 says this, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So who said that? The Lord. Who said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten? The Lord. So in the same way that the earthly high priest did not choose himself, the heavenly high priest also did not choose himself. Jesus did not choose himself because the person that said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, the person that said, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that is the person that made him and called him a high priest. Who is that? It's the Lord. So we see the selection of our high priest. That Jesus did not choose himself to be a high priest. Go back to Hebrews 5. We saw the sympathy of our high priest. We saw the sinlessness of our high priest. We saw the selection of our high priest. Like you notice, fourthly tonight, the suffering of our high priest. And this was all connected to his humanity. He only suffered because he was human. The suffering of our high priest. Now there's no connection here to the earthly high priest because the earthly high priest really didn't suffer. But our heavenly high priest did. Look at verse 7. I want you to really look at these verses and think about what these verses are saying. Who in the days of his flesh, that's his humanity, the days of his life, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayer and, prayers and supplications, notice these words. These words ought to break your heart with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, our heavenly high priest, yes, he was sinless. Yes, he was God in the flesh. He was 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And he didn't come down here like Superman and, and you know, having bullets hit him and not hurt him. 
The Bible says that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. The Bible says that he cried with tears. The word cry in Archangel's Bible means to, to yell, to scream. He, he cried out with tears, making prayers and supplications. What is this referring to? Well, we don't know exactly what the writer of Hebrews is referring to. It doesn't specifically quote for us. But when I read it, to me, it sounds a lot like the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's look at it quickly. Luke 22, if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 22 and verse 42. Luke 22 and verse 42, the Bible says this, saying, Father, this is right before the death of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed at the very last moment before he was to be arrested, he was praying, is there, are you sure there's no other way? You say, what is that? That's his humanity. Obviously, he, wanted to, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But he suffered. And he wasn't necessarily looking forward to that suffering. And he was asking, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And just to get an idea of the type of pressure that Jesus was under, verse 43, and there appeared an angel unto him uh, from heaven, strengthening him, and being in, in, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Listen to me, whatever stress and anxiety you have been under, Jesus understands. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. Keep your finger right there. Go back to, go to 1 Peter, if you would. If you kept your place in Hebrews, right after Hebrews, you have James and 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 2. We saw these verses already tonight, but I just want you to see it again. Let me highlight something else for you. 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because, notice these words, Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Look, look at these words. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. I want you to notice that Jesus suffered. The Bible says that Jesus suffered. And by the way, we've been talking a little bit about prayer as we've been dealing with this idea of the high priest because we saw in Hebrews 4, go, go back to Hebrews 5, we saw in Hebrews 4 that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Amen. We can come boldly into the throne of grace and we can seek help from Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's there to help us. He's our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our advocate with the Father. But I want you to notice that in Hebrews 5 and verse 7, we find another little lesson on prayer, and it is this. Notice verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. He says, he offered up prayers. What was the prayer? We saw it. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What was the answer to that prayer? No. 
which is why Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But, but wait a minute. Look, look at verse 7, Hebrews 5, 7. When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, notice these words, and was heard in that he feared. You know that just because the answer is no doesn't mean God didn't hear? We have this idea, well, if God didn't answer my prayer, he must not be hearing. He heard this prayer, and the answer was still no. Sometimes the answer is no. Who do you think you are that you just, just because you pray a prayer, God has to answer it? Our prayer life should be this, not my will, but thine be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, it's great when God answers prayer, but just because the answer is no doesn't mean that he didn't hear hear our prayer because the Bible says here about Jesus, and was heard. But the answer was no. Which is why he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Look at verse 8, Hebrews 5, 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. See, not only did he suffer, but he also submitted himself. And this is, we, we see, you say, what, what is it saying here? Yet learned he obedience. He obeyed when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Go to Philippians chapter 2. If you kept your place in Luke, after Luke, you have John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 7, Philippians 2 verse 7. This is about Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, made like unto men, was made a man. And being found in fashion as a man, this is all referring to the humanity of Christ, notice these words, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Isn't that what we saw in Hebrews 5? Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and became obedient unto death, even unto the death of the cross. Here, let me ask you this question. What if you pray something and God says no? Would you still obey? Because Jesus' response was, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the Bible tells us that he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which is what we're reading in Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And the idea there when it says that he were a son is that though he were the son of God, though he were the second member of the Godhead, though he could have called for the angels and God, the Father, he he had access to a legion of angels to, to come and rescue him and save him, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Go back to Hebrews 5. Let me give you the last two points and we'll do these quickly. We saw the sympathy of our high priest. We saw the sinlessness of our high priest. We saw the selection of our high priest. We saw the suffering of our high priest. And I'd like you to notice, fifthly tonight, the salvation of our high priest. Look at verse 9. And being made perfect. And the word perfect there is not what we think of, like, without sin. It's complete. He was already perfect. He wasn't made perfect. But the idea is that he came to this earth... And he did what he was supposed to do. He came and he completed everything he was. He, he said, I must be about my father's business. And being made perfect, he became 
the author of eternal salvation. Unto all them that obey him. Now remember, we, we, we're learning how Jesus is better. He's better. He's, he's a better high priest. Why is he better? Well, he's better because though he has the benefit of humanity where he can empathize and sympathize and connect with us, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, he is sinless. And he's, he's better because of the fact that he was able to take our sins while the other high priests had to make a sacrifice for their sins. But here's another reason why Jesus is better as a high priest. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 10. These verses kind of explain the point that I want to make. Hebrews 10, 10. The difference between the earthly high priest and the heavenly high priest, the difference between every other high priest and Jesus the high priest is this. Hebrews 10, 10. By the which will... Uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. He was not only the high priest, he was also the sacrificial lamb. He was all of it. Notice his words. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice his three words. Once for all. Once for all. O sinner, receive it. Once for all. We just have to believe it. Once for all, verse 11, and every priest standeth. Look, look, notice, here's the comparison. And every priest, we're talking about every other priest, standeth daily, ministering and offering. Notice these words. Oftentimes, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. See, the other high priests, they made sacrifices every day. They made the sacrifice of the atonement and it was a yearly sacrifice every year. They were offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Here's how Jesus is better. Verse 12, but this man, Jesus, why does he, why does he say but this man? Because he was a man. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The earthly high priest offered yearly sacrifices, daily sacrifices. The heavenly high priest offers eternal salvation, eternal atonement, once for all. And by the way, that's why we believe in eternal security, because once you're saved, you're always saved. It's once for all! But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, I, like, I love the wording, for sins forever. <laughs> For sins forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. We saw the sympathy, the sinlessness, the selection, the suffering, the salvation. And like you notice lastly tonight, and I'll only mention this because we won't talk about it at all. Because we'll talk about it in detail in just a few weeks down the road in Hebrews. But I'd like you notice lastly tonight the superiority of our high priest. We've already been talking about it. He's a better high priest the superiority of our high priest. Look at verse 10. Called of God. That point's already been made. Not like Aaron, so was Jesus. Called of God and high priest. But here's the difference. After the order of Melchizedek. Aaron was a high priest of the Levitical order. Aaron was a high priest that descended from Jacob, from Israel, 
from Isaac, from Abraham. Jesus was a high priest from a different order. And again, I'm not going to get into details because we're going to deal with it in, in detail in a few weeks. But I just want you to get in the mind of a first century Jew who's saved but struggling with this idea of how do we transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament? How do we go from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? Now you're telling me that Jesus was a high priest, but I've never knew that Jesus was from the tribe of Levi. I didn't know that he was a son of Aaron. I've heard that he was of the tribe of Judah, and he was a son of David. How could he then be a high priest? And the writer of Hebrews is about to set us up for a big dialogue answering this question about how Jesus is a better high priest than the priesthood of Leviticus because he's of the priesthood of Melchizedek that actually came before Levi. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but to a first century Jew, he says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. He said, this is going to be hard to hear, guys. <laughs> Seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now, we're going to end it there. We're going to pick it up right there next week. But I want you to notice that Jesus is not only a, a sympathetic high priest, not only is he a sinless high priest, not only do we see his selection and his suffering and salvation, but he is superior to Aaron. He's superior to the tribe of Levi because he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these passages of Scripture. Just 11 verses, but so much to unpack, so much to gather, so much to learn from there. Lord, I pray that you'd help us always be mindful of Jesus, our high priest. Christmas is not just a time that we celebrate the birth of Christ, although it is but the reason that the birth of Christ is so important is because God was manifest in the flesh. He became our sinless high priest and took our sins upon us. Lord, help us always to remember that Jesus is there. Jesus has felt what we felt. He has been burdened with the same burdens, the same griefs, the same sorrows that we have. And although sometimes it might feel like God is just not Paying attention. Help us to always remember that even when the answer is no, he hears our prayers. And Lord, we thank you for that. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have uh, Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, don't forget uh, that we have uh, work days uh, Thursday, Friday.